Hey everybody, this is Chuck Marone. This week on the podcast, I'm actually turning it over to Andrew Burleson and John Reuter, two of our newest board members, along with our executive director, Jim Kuman. After the national gathering, these three uh, amateurs got together and walked around and talked about the gathering and recorded their own podcast. And since they're all technically my boss, I have to run this and pretend that it's good. No, I'm just kidding. They actually do a really nice job. Uh, the audio is not the best. I apologize for that up front. But the conversation is pretty good, and <laughs> I enjoyed it anyway. Uh, I think you will, too. Give you a little flavor of what's gone on at the National Gathering. Just a quick reminder, we've got a new book coming out, A World-Class Transportation System, on October 7th. It's just a Kindle short. It's a small e-book. Uh, it's going to be $2.95. We're making it free for all of our members. So if you're not yet a member and want to become one or thinking about it, get it signed up now and uh, we'll get you a copy of that ebook, strongtowns.org. Thanks, everybody, and keep doing what you can to build strong towns. You're listening to the Strong Towns Podcast. Andrew Burleson here. I've also got Jim Kuman. Hey guys. And John Reuter. Hello. And we are walking down Nicollet Avenue in Minneapolis, Minnesota. We just finished attending the Strong Towns National Gathering, and uh, I'd say it was pretty successful. What do you guys think? Yeah, it's good. I'm exhausted. <laughs> I thought it was great, and I am, I am exhausted, but not nearly as exhausted as Jim. I think has been running around to basically a superhuman pace this week, keeping this thing moving. So it's Yeah, cool. I saw Jim doing some sleepwalking, and uh, I'm not sure what that was about. He was supposed to be leading a walking tour. No, I'm just kidding. Down today, so I wouldn't have to actually navigate with any cars and get run over, because, you know, anyhow. So this is kind of an exciting time for Strong Towns. We really have got a lot of neat stuff that's coming out, and that's uh, kind of happening in response to this national gathering. Uh, we've got some numbers that are pretty interesting, and I thought we could have John share some of these numbers. So what we heard back, uh, Chuck and Jim reported to us, there are now 25,000 people reading the website every month. There are 5,000 of you listening to this podcast monthly, and there's nearly 400 Strong Town members that have donated. A number you could increase to 400 by going and clicking that <laughs> donate page uh, on the front of our new website that's just launched. That's true. We've got this new website coming out, which should make it uh, more compelling than ever to uh, become a member of Strong Towns and help support what all we're doing here. But that's pretty good. We've grown a lot. Let's see, we started the membership program just about exactly one year ago, right, yeah, John? Yeah, it'll be one year next month, actually. So one year, in one year, we've gone from zero to 400, just about 400 members. So that's pretty good. That's like, you know, infinity growth, right? Yes. You know, infinity percent. In 49, <laughs> 49 states. And Delaware, those of you, Chuck said he was going to call you out in Delaware and say, we need a member in Delaware. There's one of you out there in particular, and you know who you are, uh, but uh, we need somebody in Delaware. So we, we will get closer to 400 if someone from Delaware will join. So I'm putting that out there now because Chuck has failed to do so in the last, like, five podcasts. Yeah. So Delaware, you are on notice. On notice, Delaware. So, you know, we had this session, and we... we uh, Really, the theme of the national gathering was collaboration and just getting, you know, so, so many of our core people. We had about 75, how many people? Yeah, 75 people. Uh, we had a core of about 50, and we had uh, uh, 
dozens of other folks kind of coming in and out throughout the weekend for the parts they could make and uh, had a great discussion to be able to mix and match with uh, about uh, about a third of the group was from uh, out of the sort of Minnesota middle of the country region and uh, the rest was here from from our great state and uh, so we had a chance to have a good local conversation as well as uh, have uh, a nuanced conversation about our entire the breadth of our movement across this country and continent. And I can say for those of us who came in from out of town, I feel like the uh, folks here in Minneapolis were really generous hosts and uh, shown us a great time. This is a cool neighborhood, don't you think? I think this is a really great neighborhood, and it's amazing to watch it today when it's like closed down. There's like literally dozens of people passing us as we're having this conversation. Yes, a surprising number of people on bicycles. We're here for, uh, what is this called, Open Streets? This is open Streets. This is Nicollet Open Streets. This is the fifth of six Open Streets that are happening in Minneapolis uh, this year. Um, the street that I live off of, which is eight blocks west of here, was an open street uh, just uh, three months ago. Um, we are being passed by dozens of people, but we were on a about a 20-block stretch they've cut, they've shut down, uh, which probably include a few thousand people. That's about what we've been getting every one of these open streets. is a couple thousand people each time. And uh, it's a great way. This is the first time that Nicollet Avenue has been in open streets. Uh, they completely have been redone this 10-block uh, area over the last two years. It's been under construction. Uh, businesses, you know, obviously had to slow down with all that construction. And uh, so it's great to uh, be out here again. Uh, and uh, be on the street because we've really been dodging cones and potholes and uh, construction vehicles for the last two years. It's a great celebration for the community uh, right here in Kingfield and our neighbors to the north uh, in Lindale. Yeah, so it's pretty fun stuff. So the, the theme of the event was basically collaboration and all of us trying to tackle some of the hard questions that are facing strong towns. And I thought for this little recording, this sort of post-National uh, Gathering recap, that we could go through some of those questions. We could talk about what some of the what the questions were, what some of the sort of interesting responses we had to those were, but also we could pose these same questions to our podcast listeners. And really, we'd love to hear from you guys what your answers are to these questions as well. So I think we can kick it off with uh, we started on Friday with a session just thinking about the nature of the movement, and we started with three questions. The first question was, "Why are you here?" and or why did you join Strong Towns? Why, what makes you want to be a member of this organization? Jim, what did you feel like? What did you feel like? You're, you're, you're employed to be here, so do you have any <laughs> other answer to that question? You're still paying me. Thank you very much for becoming a member of Strong Towns. Uh, we really actually, in all seriousness, uh, it was really interesting to see what we actually did during this, this activity was uh, get together, have everyone fill out a card, gather their thoughts, and then get, gather up in, in groups of five or six people and share that information. And uh, I went through a lot of that information last night and was reading through it, and it was really amazing to sort of see the breadth of, of, of why people were there, uh, what they thought this organization could be, which is why maybe the reason they were there, and uh, also um, sort of get a more interesting cross-section than what I hear out of Chuck every day. Yeah. <laughs> now, we're passing through some loud music, so I think we'll, uh, uh, we'll just sort of pause for a minute and uh, resume this. We can edit this part of the recording out, I would yeah. assume, yeah? And, and or I'll just talk about what we're seeing here, and if that way, if it doesn't, doesn't get, make the cut, then uh, there's no, no harm right, lost. Because so I actually have some cool things. We're walking by a greatly renewed intersection. We are at... Uh, 35th Street uh, and Nicollet Avenue, uh, just past where I live off of 36th. And uh, we are passing by a new restaurant called Ola Oripa. Uh, it's actually a food truck 
Um, we're gonna get uh, uh, somebody. Will you guys take a picture of the food truck because they have it out? So, so this is a hilarious thing. There's a bricks and mortar restaurant with the food truck that it also owns in its own parking lot out front. Um, and so uh, it's really fantastic. We've had a number of food trucks uh, become bricks and mortar restaurants this year in Minneapolis. Um, Ola Ripa is one of the the, uh, the newest. Uh, my wife Faith was ecstatic because Ola Ripa was one of her favorite downtown food trucks and uh, now it's like five blocks away from where we live. Uh, good thing that, oh wait, we're going to take a picture in the middle of the intersection? No? Yes? <laughs> it's all across the street from Pat's Tap, which was uh, put in a couple years ago by one of um, Minneapolis's best and most uh, successful restaurateurs. Uh, it's completely changed the life of this intersection actually. Um, it kind of has a, a tall challenge because um, 36th and 35th head to the freeway. It's a one-way couplet. It's very difficult to have street life uh, when you have cars rolling off freeways just two blocks away into your neighborhood. And uh, it's actually really changed the equation because now there are people all over the place. And especially in the, at night uh, when usually there wasn't a whole lot going on, the patios are full, people are out. And everyone starts slowing down because they came off the freeway now. They've gotten to enough point where they realize people are actually out on the sidewalks and they have to slow down and pay attention. Um, and so it's actually having those two restaurants and the businesses that are now around them that are successful because the other storefronts, there's a draw, um, has really changed the, uh, the, the nature of the intersection and the safety around it. I do have to say, though, for our dear friend Chuck, that I think from his point of view, 34th Street would be a lot more compelling because there's a Burger King here at 34th Street. <laughs> we, we, we might have actually ended up in a better situation for lunch. Had we I, I don't think that we could get him to try Ola Arepas. Uh, Although I did, and it was really amazing. It was really fantastic. So, but uh, Chuck is really a believer in very standard American food. So. Yes, he is. <laughs> I want to also mention, uh, in the, in the, in the, in the uh, name of tactical urbanism, um, we're walking along open streets. One of the things that we're doing here uh, to get people out to try different things. Um, in Minneapolis right now, we're actually going under protected bikeways. We're going to talk about that. So Minneapolis is trying to put 30 miles of protected bikeways in, and people don't know what that means because we don't have a single single foot of protected bikeway. And so uh, we're going to, Aaron is stopping to take, uh, Aaron, <laughs> uh, sorry, there's the guy that we just passed. Um, Andrew is uh, taking pictures of a pop-up cycle track um, and a protected bike lane um, that is on demonstration here on the closed street. That's why it's okay. The, we have these little boxed-in planters the that are... Uh, so we can add one later? So we can add one later. You can do stuff with it still. We were talking about the width of the street. That's another long story from my neighborhood activism days uh, of a couple years ago. Oh, there's some strong towners up ahead, actually. We might run into these guys. Oh, there's lots of strong towners here. So uh, this is a great opportunity for uh, us to and our, our uh, community to see new infrastructure, innovative ideas at work oh, before people get really scared of them. On the spot. Well, I think it's time to ask them some questions. It's right? time to ask. We just wandered up to John Grayson Johnson uh, here on Open Streets, and, and I, they are out I seeing the we'll, I think we'll try and ask you guys the question. We're sharing with our podcast audience the big questions of the weekend, and I thought the most inter the one we got the most interesting answers to is the question, what is a strong town? And particularly today, we gave everybody a chance to kind of talk with each other about their thoughts after the weekend, and I thought we got some great responses to that. So here's Grayson Johnson. What was your favorite response to that question? This is really super on the spot. spot. Yeah. yeah. Well, there's so many. I mean, like you can't really be a strong town without a lot of them. Um, 
I hear you mouthing something at me. What, Saying the ones, the ones we had on the fence. Oh yeah, like the ones on the fence were really, especially quite good. Those were really good. And one of those was, you know, we argued a lot about it, but it was a pretty affirmative point there that kids should be able to walk to school unsupervised and all of the things that that entails. I don't know if you guys mentioned that already. No, we didn't. Well, okay, right now we have been watching tons of children out biking and walking on their own and they're, you know, 200 feet in front of their their parents and they know they're safe and they know to wait at the intersections and they know what to do and that kind of independence at that age I think is such a really positive thing that turns you into an independent and amazing adult. Yeah. Well said. It was it was nice actually to add some content to this podcast from the, from the <laughs> I know, right? Just giving, like, we've just been filler. <laughs> we've been uh, we've been you know just doing lots of filler as we walked past noisy crowds. Okay. There was another answer to uh, what is a strong town I thought was especially poignant, and and that was uh, this is one that, that came from Grayson as well, which was uh, a strong town. In a, in a strong town, your uh, code of ordinances should be uh, able to be read and understood by your own town's fifth graders. Do you want me to comment on that? Is sure, that what's you, going on you here? can if you want. Well, I think that you made the point that it's a little bit meta and that, you know, first you need fifth graders that are literate and that are well-educated and going to school, uh, but you also need to be writing things in plain language so that if somebody wants to go out and do something that they're not going to be banging their head against a wall. We had another point that I thought was pretty poignant, which was uh, the idea if uh, if you have a strong town, then there should be no place in your town that you would be embarrassed to take the president if he came to visit your town. I didn't say that very well, but I thought that was really cool. So if the president came to your town, is there some place that you'd be embarrassed for him to see? So all of these criteria are part of what we were trying to sort of crowdsource at the, convent, at the, at the national gathering around, uh, around a strong town strength test. And basically the idea is to come up with a 10 or 12 or 7 sort of checklist of things that you could go through uh, in your community and say, you know, how are we doing and what's it going to take for us to get where we want to go? Yeah. And we're thinking of this in terms of like gut check, you know, just a simple, quick reality check any city can do to have a little perspective. You know, the idea, uh, some of the really basic ideas, you know, uh, could you build a building without providing additional parking, you know? In most cities, the answer to that would be no. But, you know, in a strong town, that's really something you should be able to do. Anyway, I think we're going to probably keep walking. Yeah, we're going to keep walking. So, anything to add, John? Well, I mean, as we're walking around and we've got open streets here and we're standing right in front of a pop-up uh, protected bike lane and it's, you know, the tagline is bikeways uh, for everyone. And what's absolutely amazing about this experience is, you know, the smiles that you see and the opportunity in this tactical urbanism environment here, this little demonstration project, the big huge smiles that they have because they can envision what it would be like to be in their streets and feel just that little bit more welcome, a little bit more yeah. inviting environment and feel protected. Yeah. Plus they did it very, very well. They did not put a bunch of uh, tacky uh, white plastic sticks up. They decided, <laughs> to go, they decided to go with the planter boxes. Good move. Yeah, and well said. The Minneapolis Bicycle Coalition is also out here helping the people understand what it would be like. So there's a little bit of advocacy and action going on, uh, and actually even allowing people to. Uh, I think they're even asking people if they want to sign a survey and say, "Would you like one of these here in our city?" Uh, in order to take it to support the ordinances and the plan that uh, is uh, out there about. So uh, both experience as well as uh, a little bit of grassroots organizing. And what I thought, what I think is really cool, is this actually brings up 
one of those major themes of this national gathering, which was this idea of a strong citizen and the role that each of us individually have in building strong towns. And Andrew actually led a great session um, about about how to engage and looking like individual actions we can take. Andrew, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. Yeah, that session was pretty interesting. We just tried to dig into that question, what is it to be a strong citizen and what can we do to build strong citizens? What can we do to be strong citizens? You know, one of the common themes, one of the things that sort of encapsulated that session pretty well is we started by asking uh, uh, people to walk through a different scenario, which was to say, think about standing at your front door of your house and, you know, as you look to the right, who's your neighbor that lives on the right side of you? You know, or if, you know, depending on what the layout is, if you're in an apartment or something, and maybe it's the person across the hall, but, you know, who's your neighbor to the right? And uh, think about that person. How well do you know them? So it's interesting. We asked a whole bunch of different people this question, and, you know, some people say, I don't know my neighbor. Some people like John said, I don't want to know my neighbors. <laughs> You know, a lot of people said, oh, yeah, that's the guy who he works down at the, uh, you know, he works down at that store on the corner or whatever, you know. They had a basic idea of their story. And then we asked the question, so what would you do? How would you approach that person if you wanted to try and talk to them about these ideals, uh, these, these principles, these values that we share? And, you know, maybe even taking it one step further, would you be able to talk to them about Strong Towns itself and maybe even recruit them to become a supporter or member of strong towns. So, you know, any point in that spectrum would be valuable. We'd love to just raise awareness, just make more people be informed and educated. So that'd be one level of thing we could accomplish, but, you know, could you even take that one step further and how would you do it? And, and, and also actually help to build that strong town locally, right? Because one of these ideas that uh, former Seattle Mayor uh, McGinn brought to us during this whole conference and challenged us was to like start collecting yeses, going around right. and finding supporters in your community to build the support you need to actually realize the school. Uh, because you you know democracy is one of these fundamental principles to get there. Yeah. So you know how do you how do you build that coalition, build that uh, critical mass of yeses, people who are ready to take action in their own community. And so you know we we dug into that a lot. Uh, I thought there were some really interesting responses to that one as well. We had some really simple things like throw a you know throw a block party in your front yard, and uh, invite your neighbors over, and just that's a good way to get to know your neighbors and get to talk to them. We had uh, uh, Sarah Joy tell us, you know, just how about have your kids play in the front yard instead of in the backyard? And what difference would that make on your street in terms of changing the way people feel on your street? I thought that's incredible because it's even simpler and yet even more profound. So, no, it was really interesting. I want to uh, connect three dots from this weekend. Uh, one, uh, speaking of uh, Mayor McGinn, um, he uh, decided one uh, evening that, uh, or one morning as we were getting together for a session, uh, that he would, uh, we were, he, the hotel is in downtown Minneapolis, it's at 13th Street, and uh, we were meeting at 38th Street. He said, you know what, uh, how, how far is how far is the way? And I told him, you know, the street numbers. He's like, well, how far is that? I'm like, well, three, three and a half miles. He's like, okay, I'll, I'll walk. Yeah, I'll walk. And I thought it was insightful because he, he uh, was actually often criticized during his administration for biking to work, as if it was a crime to actually bike to work and, and not be like the rest of us who, who, who drive to work. And uh, But it also, uh, a, a reason I want to bring this up is a second point, is that we're walking through an area right now, we just pass uh, 33rd Street as we're heading north, we're on Nicollet, and it's actually a quiet residential part. It's one block, which actually we've been, and Nicollet has a lot of sort of commercial nodes from when it was a streetcar uh, corridor before, and uh, we're in a sort of quiet residential spot, 
but we're also about to come up to a very large uh, commercial street uh, up ahead of us. I thought it was interesting that um, he hadn't spent a lot of time in Minneapolis and he wanted to pound the pavement a little bit. He wanted to understand this place. And he actually commented on this certain area. He's like, yeah, things kind of just died right here. And, and they did because also uh, where we're about to end open streets is, is straight up ahead of us, which is a Kmart store that is plunked directly in the middle of Nicollet Avenue and closed the street from thoroughfare traffic from north to south uh, about 40 years ago. And uh, oddly enough, um, where we're kind of at right now is this weird dead zone. Even when the whole street is closed and there's people going back and forth, yeah. it's oddly dead. And it's not dead as in that there's nobody on the porches because there's people actually sitting right up there. But uh, we're also coming up to a massive bus maintenance facility, uh, which is like two and a half blocks long. And uh, and so it's interesting that even on a long corridor, when we're, when we're out here in the streets like this, um, that uh, we have to remember our context. And I always thought it was interesting that um, he wanted to kind of understand the place that we were in, that we were talking about. And it leads back to my third point, which was coming back to the beginning of what Andrew was just talking about, which is our call to action. And uh, one of our presenters on Friday night, we had a great Friday night session uh, where we had nine presenters give eight-minute presentations, rapid fire. And one of them was Hans. Hans is from Wisconsin. Uh, he's also an avid bicyclist. And, uh, but he uh, wanted to come and talk about feet first, and that's kind of what we're doing right now. We're actually walking to a grocery store, because right next to that Kmart that's at the end of the street is a grocery store. And he challenged everyone in the audience to say, you know what, um, not everybody has the option to do anything but walk to get their groceries. Some people do, some people can bike, some people can drive their car, some people can take transit. But you know what, um, in order for us to understand what it'd be like for somebody else who doesn't have those options, what it would be like, we actually have to go do it. And so he challenged the audience, he's challenged people in his local community to take a simple action to, for himself and others, and even to invite his elected officials to join him in walking to get his groceries twice a month, or biking, or doing something that didn't involve a car, just to do something different. So I thought I would put those three points together. Do you guys have other um, presentations from Friday night you thought were interesting topics? The, the one that blew my mind was Andrew Price. Wow. And if you have not, you know, I've watched some of, uh, I've read a little bit of Andrew's stuff before on Strong Towns, uh, which has been, uh, been running on our, you know, on the blog for a while now. But you've got to go check this guy out if you haven't already. Andrew Price. Uh, there will be a link, I'm sure, sometime soon on the blog again to his work. Yes. Uh, you'll be able to see some next of his week, stories. I think, yeah, I think yeah, so probably next week or maybe this week when we're putting this out, he'll be up there. And, and the work that he's done around um, showing what makes places work and what makes them don't um, in really sort of these uh, amateur way where he, uh, where he like he took just the program paint and actually like drew in the streets and showed like here are the places that are not producing here are the places that are producing the and just place like, non-place ratio place yeah. non-place ratio the place non-place ratio I mean it was really cool and it's one of those things that just I think all of us just sat back and said you know and we're just a little blown away by <laughs> <laughs> he just put the simplest map, but it's uh, it was it's really and blue paint. It's really like, simple you can map. See, like the scribbly sort of non-straight. Like he must have did it like you know at midnight, probably the night before. But no, but um, it was perfect. It was it, it was it was so stark that something so. What simple. he described is that in in highlighted in blue is all of your stuff that you would actually go to as a person. So for instance, the stores, the buildings, the the sidewalks and sidewalk cafes and everything like that, plazas, parks, all of these places, places you would actually go hang out. And, uh, you know, not either get run over or, you know, just be staring at empty grass that's unutilized. You know, you know places where you wouldn't be in trouble for loitering, right. <laughs> right? right? All the places you'd be not in trouble for loitering, right? And 
then everything else, all the you know roads, traffic lanes, all the uh, sort of parking dead lots. space, parking lots, all the basically just the big gaps in between buildings, everything like that. He colored that in red. So, you know, blue is your place, red is your non-place. And, uh, and he showed a couple pictures uh, of a half-mile radius. First, uh, gosh, where was the first example? Is that, is that Melbourne was the first one, or is it another uh, It was in American City. Was it San Francisco? That was the second one. Second one? Uh, I can't remember the first one. I don't remember the first one either. Well, uh, let's just say that the first one was probably some, some city in Arkansas. Maybe it was Little Rock or something. I don't, I don't remember. But it was some sort of medium you know, sort of medium-sized uh, city. And uh, then he shows San Francisco, and you can see that it's the same size area, but it's about double the amount of place to non-place. You can barely find a little the bit little of The little red streaks, yeah. The little red streaks all over the place. And then the, the, the Arkansas thing is just a big... Well, then he cuts block. back. No, yeah. then he cuts back to specifically the edge of Conway where he works. Oh, that's true, yes. So I, th I think the first work. slide might have been the first slide might have been uh, downtown Conway or the center of the city, right. which is a smaller city, but you know it does have a little bit of a That's center. Yeah. And uh, then he shows San Francisco, and it's just almost all blue and just a little bit of red. And then he shows the office park in Conway where he works, and it's just all this ocean of red with a couple blue islands, just little specks. Yeah. And uh, you know it just just makes it just really drives home how empty that space is and how unutilized. You know, I, I, it's not, not even just say underutilized, but just completely unutilized nice. that space is. And what I thought was so cool about it is you look at Andrew, who's a software developer, um, has no formal urban planning training, which is the same as me, um, and no engineering background, same as me. I, I have, you know, I come from like a, a newspaper background is where I, is where I started out. Uh, but, but that here he is and he's taking this active role in thinking about his community and about how to make it better. And I think that that, if, if nothing else, was about this whole National Gathering was about, is about each of our role in actually improving our community. Yeah, everybody doing what they can. And in his case, just being thoughtful and becoming well-informed. So we talked a little bit about the challenge that we got to walk to the grocery store twice a month uh, just to see what that's like and to experience that and to understand our towns. Now, Monty Anderson gave us another challenge. Uh, yeah, Monty basically said everyone needs to be a developer. <laughs> I think that was about the long and short of it, yeah? Yeah, yeah. And if you don't do it, nobody else will. So that's pretty much where it's going to end right there. And talk about, like, I come from a place where developer had a little bit of an icky feeling to me pre-Monty Talk, and now I think I'm almost bought in and think I need to go and, like, start building things. Uh, what, can you can you talk about, like, what his presentation was about? Yeah, I'm trying to know, think about how to explain it. Monty talked about his three farms is how he described it. And... Uh, he, uh, Monty is a guy who works in the south side of Dallas, uh, the Dallas-Fort uh, Worth metro area, and he's got a location that's sort of just on the edge of downtown Dallas. He's got a location that's in kind of a first-ring suburb, and then he's got a location that's out all the way in sort of a second-ring suburb. And these are all places that he had either lived or worked at various points in time. He described it himself as saying that he had, he said, I had, quote, white-flighted out of Dallas, and my family had all done that, but that he had really felt kind of bad about it. He didn't really, he just really had this uh, unsettled feeling about, like, why are we, you know, we're, we're in this town, and we're kind of, like, quitting on it, and it's just something that didn't feel right, and he decided, after having kind of gone through this on autopilot in the earlier part of his life, uh, that he was going to go back, and uh, uh, go back to these places he had been before, and find ways to invest he described, uh, you know, the process of slowly buying buildings and finding things to put in them. He described it as being the best of the worst. <laughs> so, you know, nail salons and, uh, 
you know, I, I don't know, laundromats and stuff yeah, like that. Donut shops, yeah, lots of other random things that show up somewhere on, like, a land use list. Have you ever seen like, a land use list? Like, oh, yeah. 180 possible things that could happen in a town. And, like, the 100 most obscure ones you've never had is kind of what he specialized in. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so uh, these are not high-dollar, you know, high-rent type of tenants. And so you can't have high-dollar, high-rent type of buildings for them to go into because they can't afford it. And he actually realized that uh, the real reason he became a developer was because nobody would actually buy the buildings he was brokering. He started out as a broker. And he realized if no one's going to buy these places, that means they were never going to get revitalized. No one was ever going to think they could be anything different than they were currently. And that's how he got in the game because he realized that if he cared that much and he wanted a place, he thought about this whole endeavor as how can my family be in a place that they wouldn't have to depend on a car and that they could actually live in the same place together. They wouldn't be economically um, spread out from each other and segregated from each other based on their, their, their location um, or their, their, their stage of life, uh, both his own daughter, his granddaughter, his mother and his grandmother. And he mentioned his own grandmother as somebody who basically rotted away um, in a nursing home on the edge of the city where she was completely disconnected from his family and most of the people she knew. She knew he didn't want to see that happen for his own mother. And so he was driven to build places that his own family and people like them could coexist next to each other. And so he showed project after project after project in each one of his laboratories, um, how he was cultivating all these underutilized, undervalued assets to be something incrementally more than what they were. And he wasn't doing it to make the big, the big gain, but he was doing it to say, well, if I fix this place and I go down the block and buy this lot here, and I go over here and partner with this entrepreneur who's already in the neighborhood, and I go over here and buy a couple houses and, and partner with somebody else who wants to fix, fix them up, that collectively all those little transactions rebuild the soul of a neighborhood and stabilize everyone who's involved uh, in, in being a part of it. And what made Monty's presentation so impressive to me uh, was a little counterintuitive, but that each of these buildings were built in, you know, these are not like the uh, shiny, glossy pictures we see in New Urbanist magazine sometimes of like the, the <laughs> yeah. perfect new street that's just like everything's the right width and everything's just right. It was like he was taking things that already existed and figuring out how to just incrementally add on to them where he could um, and adding second stories. Yeah, to our, our friend Ed Erford said after his presentation, Monty had all these pictures of buildings where he had taken some old, you know, really simple, basic building, and he'd put it, added on a second floor. And Ed said, nobody does that. Nobody puts a second floor on a building. That guy is crazy. <laughs> what is it? admiration, right? Yeah, like, it, like, he said it affectionately. He's nuts. It's just, just, nobody does that. Nobody does that. How can he put a second floor on a building? How do you, how do you make that work? I mean, he's a developer. You have to, it has to work in the end. The numbers, the pro forma has to come out. And he realized he had to break all the rules. Again, he, he had to go looking for tenants. He went to go looking. As a broker, he was always trained to go looking for sites. He would go looking for places he could relocate businesses to actually create better, um, critical mass of those businesses. They were struggling where they were. Um, and so he said, well, you know, I could also need to go find new businesses. He, start, he told a story about um, uh, in Duncanville, uh, which is the first spring suburb, how uh, they really desperately, they made a commitment to the community that they wanted every child in the community to have a bicycle, and which means they needed a bike shop. And they wanted a bike shop on Main Street because they were also trying to revitalize their Main Street. And nobody would come open a bicycle shop on Main Street in Duncanville because they thought no one bikes in this town, A, and B, it's Duncanville. And what are you doing biking in a first big suburb? So he found somebody who really wanted to open a bicycle shop 
and w- w- was willing to do it on Main Street, but he wasn't a business owner, and he didn't have any money, and he couldn't start a business, but he had a vision of wanting to do this and still serve this need in the community. So Monty, and again, another one of these moves that defies all the rules of development that you learn in, in a real estate school or in even the school of hard knocks, um, he actually helped, um, and not only did he help uh, with equity and the way he arranged the real estate deal, but he calls it the, 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 block, the block financing, where literally five other business owners in this very same area along Main Street where this bike street was supposed to go, loaned this businessman $2,000 a piece to help him come up with the equity they needed to buy this building and operate this business. He facilitated that as a developer to make that deal work. Who does that? Yeah. So we got, we got a few challenges here that we heard during the week. I want to jump to one more back to Mike McNair, Mike McGinn, yeah. for a moment. And what, what he said to us that I thought was, was uh, as, as having been on a small town city council, really connected to me, but like, I thought when I got elected I was going to have all this power, and, and I did, but not nearly as much as I thought. Yeah. And he talked about trying to put bike lanes in um, and, and dedicated bike, uh, you know, protected bike lanes in, in Seattle and how he'd go to these meetings and how people would just be furious with him. 200 people would show up just to yell at him. And then there was this moment where he said everything churned. So talk about what, like, there was this moment where, uh, where like, uh, what happened was uh, people from the community, his friends, started to show up and say at the beginning of the conversation, this bike lane is making it safer for my kid. Thank you. And that just stopped the screaming and changed the conversation. And so he, one of the things that he challenged us to do was to say, hey, show up to these meetings, speak out, you know, share your, share your point of view, uh, because you can actually, even when things are when going the right direction, they can actually change that conversation and move it forward. Right. And that's really, that's really the biggest reason why we're, when we talk about the importance of being strong citizens and, and building and recruiting and training strong citizens, that's what it's really about. Are we ready to wrap up here? Or no? Yeah, I mean, I think we're, <laughs> I think we're getting close. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just asking minutes. you a question. I'm making my little signs here. Yeah, well, sure. I wanted to like sort of run through these challenges for people before we left them too that we got this week. Okay, well, let me give yeah. a thought that I was thinking directly about to what Mike said, and that's yeah. basically this: that, uh, you know, we're trying to build strong citizens because we're trying to build critical mass because we want to see actual change happen, and then when we, you know, when when we, we have something happen at City Hall. And we have one, you know, articulate advocate show up and s- explain, you know, hey, city council, this uh, idea that you have, it doesn't make financial sense, it, uh, it wastes land, it doesn't utilize the community's resources, it's not good for the tax base. All those arguments are logical and they're coherent, but, you know, a lot of times they're not very persuasive. But you get a group of uh, families from the community to show up and, uh, you know, all speak to City Hall about how this is not their vision for how they want the community to be. They want to see change. And it's the numbers that really make a big difference and that really create a lot of influence. So you need the leaders, you know. And I think when we look at other organizations that are our friends and partners and who have done a lot of great work, they've done a great job of creating leaders, especially in, in their various you know subject matter expertise. But all these organizations have had a hard time creating the critical mass that we need. Jim is just running across, running across the intersection, and I wonder what he's doing. Okay, just taking pictures. Well, I think we're going to head up 35th Street here. Uh, you know, they all have trouble creating critical mass. We have a really hard time connecting with everyday, regular people with why these things matter and why they might want to care. Not necessarily that they need to care enough to come to some conference all the way across the country, but just care enough that when it's time for a serious ballot measure or something like that to happen, that they can come show up to the meeting and say, 
hey, I really appreciate this program. This is really what I want to see, and I'm happy to see it. Or, you know, hey, I don't really appreciate this idea. That's not how I want this town to, to turn out. And, you know, the one person we haven't talked about yet that we can't leave the Strong Towns National Gathering without talking about is Chuck Marone. Um, who spoke to us several times throughout the conference, and uh, well, all of you listening to this, to this know what that's like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I was actually was hoping I would get a chance to pivot to talk about Chuck, because I wanted to mention, I wanted to uh, actually, uh, Chuck talked about on Saturday morning, he had a presentation, which is the first next draft of uh, our uh, transportation in the next American city, uh, persuasion, talk about what's wrong with our transportation system and how we'd be all better off in a different mode, perhaps. And uh, I wanted to uh, ask John, um, what was his favorite insult of Chuck Marone and how bad the presentation was? Because uh, uh, that was essentially the format for the morning. Yeah, the format for the morning was as a prime minister's questions, which is a, 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 you know, sort of a spoof of the way British parliamentary stuff works, where the prime minister gets just grilled, absolutely grilled by the parliament. So Chuck put his rough draft up for everybody and gave his little rough draft presentation. And then uh, John was sort of leading the opposition in uh, destroying this presentation. So John, why don't you give us a little insight into how that went down? I, I did give vicious attacks. Now, I, I know now that Chuck is too busy to actually ever listen to this particular podcast. <laughs> so I'll just tell all of you, it was actually really good. And uh, you should be looking forward to your chance to listen to this thing. Uh, so instead of telling uh, all the things that I didn't like about it, which is what, I, was what we told Chuck uh, about, uh, what, about 20 of us got together... And, uh, and we're basically uh, tearing apart all the little nooks and crannies we could come to object to. Let me tell you, you know, it's going to be a lot of the things that we've heard um, Chuck develop over the years around things from Strode's to, uh, to the broken way we're financing things to, uh, to questioning these estimates around how we can ever, you know, why are we going to spend, I don't remember the exact numbers, but a billion dollars to get half a billion dollars back in return uh, in terms of investments. Um, and it put it together in a narrative that really helped you understand how it all fit together. So I think it's a really exciting talk, especially as it becomes uh, stronger and stronger, uh, that you should look forward to getting to see. Yeah. All right, guys, I've got an idea for some quick closing remarks. Okay. I think we should do sort of like moment, best best moment of the conference. And I'm going to say best moment was uh, Mayor Mike McGinn, uh, who, who said that uh, when discussing the fate of the uh, Alaskan Way Viaduct Tunnel in uh, Seattle, which has apparently gotten stuck under the city, and they're having to do a... The tunnel was supposed to cost a billion dollars. They're having to do a $200 million rescue tunnel to sort of dig out the stuck tunneling equipment. Uh, he said, essentially, you know, maybe it's time for us to quit, and or, that someone asked him, well, you can't quit now. What are you going to do with a thousand-foot tunnel? To which he replied, well, what are you going to do with a 2,000-foot tunnel? <laughs> I thought that was really great. My favorite moment from the, uh, from the weekend is, uh, is a rather quiet moment, actually, uh, and having uh, obsessed over quite a number of the details and the logistics of the weekend uh, from uh, trying to figure out uh, where this would be held and uh, some of the... Uh, both, uh, and so two, well actually I'll say two, but they're very related. Both our evening events are our Friday evening events uh, where we were uh, happily and merrily allowed to drink alcohol legally uh, on one of our public rights of way. Uh, thank you to Blackbird Cafe and the Lodness Project for helping us out with that after our great Petra Kucha event. Um, and have a great time in our public right of way. I have a fantastic photo of one of my favorite neighborhood establishments fully packed with people on the sidewalk enjoying being out 
in our public uh, public realm. And, and the second one was last night um, as we gathered on the Piazza on the Mall, uh, a project by one of our good friends at Strong Town, Max Musicant. Uh, he helps oversee and manage, which was right downtown, taking an old... Um, old plaza public space that was highly underutilized and programming and bringing it back to life and we got a chance to spend time there both last night watching the movie uh the human scale uh, which was looking at the work of jan giel the great uh, sort of human human uh, urbanist and uh all of us being out there again in a public space right in downtown minneapolis uh with a bit of buzz around us from the hotels and other things that were going out out there at night and uh just being in a public place with each other, with 60, 50, 60 people, um, and watching a great movie, um, and again, sort of being out there in the public realm. Those are the two favorite moments. One very loud and ruckus moment, and one very quiet and uh, rather sort of sublime moment uh, of our weekend. I thought that the best moment was, uh, was you know, Chuck summed this up at the very end of the gathering. And what had happened is we started seeing through throughout the whole event, uh, people start to say, what we're going to do and they also started saying the next national gathering which by the way there's no solid plan yet for a next national gathering but uh but there yeah. may be now yeah jim has insisted this whole time <laughs> this is the one and only national gathering this was a single single time single one purpose event. event we're never going to do this again it's too much work it's too much hassle and yet everyone who came and showed up kept saying over and over again yeah the next national gathering we need to do this and this and and so what you saw is people really claiming this movement as their own and, and picking it up and making plans on what they were going to do to move things forward. And I guess that being my favorite moment, uh, what I really want to do is invite those of you listening uh, to, take, to take and own this moment as your own, too, if you haven't already, and take some of these challenges that we heard um, from speakers at this event. So there's the, there's the challenge that Andrew brought us of uh, the neighborhood challenge or the neighbor challenge, I'm going to call it, which is, you know, think about your neighbor next to you and figure out how you're going to pull them in in some way to this movement to build stronger towns. There's the Monty Anderson challenge, which is, hey, go develop something. Um, and I, <laughs> I swear, if you actually watched Monty's uh, talk, that would sound a lot less crazy. But he's just saying, you know, even if it's a small scale, even if it's your own house, yeah. and you're adding a, you know, yeah, he was saying, <laughs> but add, add a little tiny office onto your own house and find somebody to rent it to. I right. mean, it's like anything, just anything. Just, you know, find a way to make more use out of some piece of land. It's really interesting. Whatever you could do. The, the Mike McGinn challenge, I'm going to call it, which is like to go out into your, uh, uh, to your local meeting and actually be a voice for these things and stand up and be, you know, be forceful and speak with passion and authenticity. And then you know, the uh, challenge we heard from Hans, which was take a walk to the grocery store twice a month um, and see what that's like and understand what that is in your community. If you, have, if you don't already do that already, which I know uh, many of us uh, do. Uh, and then finally, uh, to speak back to us at Strong Towns and tell us, you know, why are you part of this movement? Why do you listen to this podcast? Uh, what is a strong town to you? And, and most importantly, what does a strong citizen mean to you? What, what are we going to have to do together to build the strong towns that we want? Yeah. I think that was really, I think if you could take anything away from that or just distill that to its barest essence, it would be, you know, I feel like this weekend is when we watched... Uh, with a lot of excitement and a lot of fun. Strong Towns, the blog, which had turned into Strong Towns, the loose but uh, stabilizing organization, turn into Strong Towns, the movement. And I think we're all really excited about what that means for the future and 
where it's going to go next. So and if there's one challenge that we might all give you, I think it'd be in the words of Chuck Marone. Yeah, to keep doing what you can <laughs> to build strong towns. All right, thanks, everybody. They know that America's one big pothole right now. Chuck Marone, this has been fascinating. Oh, Magnet City! I like you. I like your vision of the of the world. The United Nations Earth Summit. Agenda 21. Yeah. For America... Let's admit it, the numbers don't look good. Over 9% unemployment, $14.3 trillion in debt. But you know what? Those are just facts. <laughs> and at its best, America has never been about facts. It's been about belief. It's about looking at a fact and saying, no. <laughs> no, no. I don't think so. Let's try something a little better than that.